Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Ann and Phil Carlson are back with a new episode with special guest Eric Berlin, partner and co-head of cannabis at Denton's. Eric joins us this week to discuss the path that led him to Denton's, including his pro bono work, the evolution of industry trends and issues in cannabis law, and the impact of illicit markets and how to combat them. If you're interested in learning more about Denton's or following the latest from the world's largest law firm, visit the links in our show notes. Also be sure to follow Eric and Denton's on LinkedIn and Twitter. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Eric Berlin of Denton's. Welcome to the Green Rush, Eric. We're so happy to have you join us today. You are um, an attorney at Denton's, which is uh, the world's um, largest law firm. And most of our listeners can imagine the type of cases that that you guys handle. But um, to back things up a little bit, can you talk about your pro bono work um, in drafting and passing legislation for medical cannabis programs and really how this led you on your cannabis professional path? Uh, yeah, I'm very happy to talk about that. And again, thank you for uh, the invitation to speak to you today. Uh, so I got started now, um, golly, uh, coming up on 15 years ago. Uh, I was a partner at another large law firm and uh, volunteered my time to help craft and get past the Illinois medical cannabis uh, law. That was the first we started on. Um, that was, if if not the or one of the first bills that went through the legislature, legislature, our Illinois General Assembly. So there are great challenges to get the bill passed uh, through legislature in a state that, you know, the south part of the state is sort of the Bible Belt. Um, and uh, I'll confess, and that's also, different from from having it on a ballot. Let's say, like a lot that's of folks very are, different are than familiar with having a ballot initiative, but this is going through the legislature. So, just wanted to make that distinction. Which is fascinating, right? I mean, how much more it's difficult yeah. to get the people's will executed through our elected officials as opposed to directly through the ballot initiative. There, there, there. I'm not, you know, making a full political statement on that. It's just interesting how that plays out, particularly in this space. Um, and so that also took years. I expected it to take months and it, and it took years, which is the first good lesson in uh, in cannabis and what we're, uh, the rock we're pushing up the hill. I then got involved in uh, Ohio and that bill actually was drafted for failure um, by a state senator who was a pharmacist and thought cannabis was a bad idea. And by the end of talking to folks, had changed his mind and needed the bill redrafted so that it would actually work uh, for, for everyone involved, all stakeholders. So I holed up at the hotel and uh, did that and testified before the Senate committee to help get uh, that Ohio bill passed. Uh, I will confess that uh, a lot of my work 
from there on has not been pro bono now. I mean, now <laughs> I, I, get, I get paid to do a lot of that. So I do I do want to be uh, fair in that in that statement because I have gone on and been involved in uh, lots of other states and have worked on the federal side as well. So let's talk about, well, Illinois is now legal. Um, in terms of Ohio, like, how's that state looking? Because they're still just medical only. Is it, it is medical only, and that's all that we passed at the beginning. I mean, there was really, uh, to get full adult use was not politically, or even there wasn't necessarily the support when we first pushed uh, the medical cannabis law. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say... I had very serious concerns about the Illinois bill that ended up being put into law. And it went many steps further in several areas than I had wanted it to. And Ohio was very clear across the folks who were you know, working to get this done that we prefer to get a bill passed, even if it was mm -hmm. not a perfect bill. And so oh, I think there are some things about Ohio that are imperfect. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is that there is safe, legal, and for the most part, affordable access for patients who need it there. Uh, I think Ohio is one of the states that could, you know, in the in in the next few years, pass into full adult use. Uh, I know there's ballot initiatives to that effort, and uh, the legislator is looking legislature is looking for that as well. So I think it's it's possible. No, I think the state is. It depends. It depends who you are, right? To answer that question of how it's looking, right? I would say for folks who are patients and users, it could look a lot better, right? I mean, there could be a lot better access and more competition and lower prices. And and you know, Ohio started with a really interesting issue. To me, I find it interesting with all the debate at, that was going on at the time and really continues as to you know beyond who should get access but what should the product be and where can folks use it and all sorts of issues like that ohio said unlike some states that at the time were saying you can't sell flour they said you can sell flour but it has to be vaporized you're not allowed to combust it and I said to the in the, in the hearing, in fact, to my knowledge, it's the first time that a state is regulating the temperature at which a legal product can be used, which is kind of, you know, really the state getting into your business. I understand why, because there's, you know, people, there's a stigma around the smell of cannabis, and that's what they did. But does that serve the patient's interest is a whole nother question. So, right. you know, to answer your question, there are all sorts of things wrong with every single state's laws, um, in my opinion. I mean, I would, I, uh, some are better than others, but uh, and but none is perfect. And I would think, you know, sort of different states take different things that are good. And it also is what's right or viewed as right for their populace at the time. And I don't want to disrespect that process either. Is there a well, state that you are, that, that that you would say is probably the best in terms of current laws and regulations? And is there a state that's worse? Or it truly depends on, on who's asking, right? So if you're, if you are a, uh, let's say you're an MSO, mm -hmm. uh, Illinois is a great state. Oh, yeah. I mean, MSOs mm -hmm. have, have maintained um, most of the sales in Illinois. And unlike other states, the prices have not gone down significantly. 
I mean, maybe over time, the prices have gone maybe from like 60 to 55 for pre any discount for an eighth. But that's not like the bottom dropping out like Oregon, for example. So if you're a producer, you know, I think I think Illinois is great. And, and I would also say um, there's there's a ton of access. You know, people say maybe the maybe the prices are high and uh, and the product's not as good as, for example, California. But I mean, there's decent access. Most people around the state can easily get to a dispensary and that dispensary doesn't contain just one producer's products, but contains many. So from the producer point of view, from some of the users point of view, Illinois actually is a good state. From users perspective, I think people would say Michigan's a better state, right? It has more product, lower prices. Uh, from a producer, maybe not so much. You know, you have some of the producers there really struggling. From the perspective of, um, of uh, you know, someone who enjoys cannabis at a reasonable price, California is right. a decent place. For everyone else, it's terrible. Right. Um, you know, unless, or, except for the folks who are in the illicit market, which is, it's pretty good market. Which is booming. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so really, I, I don't, I, I don't mean to answer a question with a question, but it's so complicated. It really depends who's asking, right? I mean, there are states that are, are not working at all, like Georgia, right? I mean, it took years, years to get that one company now and a few more are going to be able to sell, uh, 5% THC cannabis in, in limited amounts. I don't view, I mean, I, I think the people who are tasked with, uh, with the, the, the actual regulators are doing their best, but the way the legislator passed, uh, passed it, uh, I don't think, I don't think is great. So it really depends. <clears throat> and I always come back to my initial starting point, which is safe, legal, affordable access for those who would benefit from it. And I believe most people who want it would benefit from it. So it's a pretty large group. But but uh, but safe is, is safe and affordable uh, come at uh, expenses to one another sometimes, right? right? And, and I recognize that. And it's a balance of safe, legal, and, and affordable. So I would look at it, my own lens is, you know, what states do a decent job on that? Michigan is a, a decent state. Uh, Missouri seems to be, you know, getting better and better in some ways. Um, I don't know that a state like California serves anyone's interests at, at the end of the day, other than other than those who are benefiting from the illicit market. You know, I think there's a lot of cannabis around, but you can't be sure what's in it. You know, there there's just all sorts of problems. So I know it's a super long answer to like what states are good and what are, what are bad, but I think it's such a complicated uh, issue. Well, and I, I feel, you know, I, I live in Los Angeles. Um, I'm not there right now, but, um, you know, I, I feel like the the California story um, is so closely intertwined with the illicit market. It's like three times the the legal market, or I, I think that's the latest stat I read. But um, what what can be done from a, a either a legislative point uh, to better combat the illicit market? in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we need some enforcement, right? I mean, that's the issue. Uh, folks are looking at all sorts of issues, private actions. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of hesitancy 
to go after the listed market because it's mm-hmm. kind of like brings us back to, to where we started. But now there's plenty of opportunity to operate in the legal market. And so the answer is there needs to be a few things. There needs, in my opinion, among other things, there needs to be some increased enforcement against the illicit market. Uh, And that has to be across governments. It has to be at the local level as well, and it has to be cooperative across governments so that it has some teeth and it actually causes folks to, um, to hesitate to be in there. But, you know, in many ways, more important than that, there needs to be uh, a smoother entry and lower cost operate in the legal market, right? And so uh, I, I don't mean to suggest in this situation, you blame it on the folks who are trying to do it right and don't blame the criminals, right? I'm not suggesting that, but just solving a problem in a practical way. I mean, the reason that we have the illicit market is because there's a tremendous demand for cannabis. People value price value as much as anything, and um, and they want great accessibility. And the government's affirmatively standing in the way of that is really the problem here, right? The problem is not that like. You know, someone doesn't want to buy legally and they affirmatively are against going and buying legally. It's that they can get in often situations better, cheaper product faster. Um, And and so it's up to our elected officials and the regulators to recognize that that is a significant problem that needs legislative and regulatory help to combat the illicit market. The third thing we need is education. Um, And and, and the education has to come across the board, uh, just about the, 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 you know, you go and buy a Delta 8 vape pen. It's not that Delta 8 is inherently dangerous. It's that God knows what else is in the Delta 8 vape pen because it's completely unregulated and it's put out of the market that people, not everyone, but some folks cutting corners and that sort of thing. And so there needs to be some education on that and some, you know, collectivism that if you want a legal market and we want this to work, let's get behind the legal market. Uh, Those are just a few ideas that I think we need to combat the illicit market. You know, it's it's so interesting you say that because I was in... um, uh, Long Island uh, a couple days ago uh, with with family, um, and I saw for the first time a television ad for buy legal in New York, and like the reason to buy legal and the fact that it's it's you know less dangerous and and all of this stuff. And I had never you know seen such a blatant like television spot yeah. before. Um, and I, you know, I was like, pause that. <laughs> Let me see what that says. Um, but I mean, I think you're, you're completely right because people, you know, have been, you know, the, these, these dealers, we're not talking about, you know, um, like hardened criminal dealers. These are, these are dealers that are trusted that have been, you know, um, providing this service for, for decades. Um, right. so, you know, so you're also dealing with that. Like, I don't, you know, I, I trust my guy. He's not going to, you know, and so I think that that's a really important you part know, of it. You like know what's gonna be in that stuff, right? Like you just have no idea. And plus when you're calling your guy to have him bring up or whatever, it, there, he, oh, there's also that opportunity for that guy to potentially upsell you something else. Right. I mean, but at worst you're going to get ripped off. 
you're not going to die from a, you know, unless they're lining it with fentanyl, which they, which is not a thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so, it so not necessarily fentanyl, but some of the really cheap drugs, yeah. uh, the, the theory being like, well, yours is better, right? I mean, how do you distinguish the, the illicit marijuana that you're selling? Right. And um, and and sometimes that has happened, but it's not a frequent thing. But we just know that 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 does occur. So um, but it has to be, you know, I do think there's a component of asking people to do the right thing, but it has to be more. I mean, we know, you know, we know we know I just stated why people, you know, uh, the three of the, you know, five greatest reasons why people buy an illicit market as opposed to the legal market. And most of it is a comparative to the legal market, right? I mean, we know what people want. They want safe, legal, affordable access to cannabis. And so if you if you put in triplicate security and tax to the hills, I mean, the only way for folks to make money is by is by charging more for the illegal market because their costs are so much higher than the illicit market. So, I mean, all that needs to be addressed. I guess I would say this. To me, uh, uh, the the illicit market has been here forever. I mean, as far as we know. (laughs) And and it's not going to go anywhere uh, quickly uh, unless people recognize the fundamental issue that we are no longer, nor were we recently, but we certainly now are not in a situation where we have a choice between a world with cannabis or a world without cannabis. And we still have most of the discussion on the federal level is like that. I mean, even with safe banking, Right. I mean, the whole notion that I mean, even even let's just take this. All right. I'm going to give you an example without going too deep or disclosing privilege. But when you get into some of these security issues and what's needed to secure the legal supply of cannabis. Right. And I had someone say, well, what if you know you have this? But what if someone lands on the rooftop of the greenhouse and rappels down to like what steal a plant like what's going on there right and 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 so the notion that's the silliest example but the the, the examples go further how much money needs to be spent to prevent diversion from the legal supply into the much cheaper Illegal. So I don't mean out the back door. I don't mean folks producing too much. And so I mean, like out of dispensaries, like people purchasing and then reselling or, you know, um, diversion from delivery and that sort of thing. I mean, that's not really the problem. The problem is that the legal market can't compete with the illicit market. So it's not like there's this tremendous demand that's being unfulfilled for the legal market. It's just the opposite. So there needs to be the, in my opinion, the uh, the collective understanding by our elected officials that we do not have a choice of living in a world without uh, a cannabis. That world doesn't exist unless we want mm. to uh, chop off people's limbs and that sort of thing. I mean, that kind of works in countries where they do that to prevent cannabis, but that's not what we're going to do in the United States. 
Um, and so we are going to have cannabis in the rest of the world. And the better view is how do you regulate all of that and be sensible and have sensible policies around it? Eric, when was the last time you were in New York City? Uh, actually, a while ago, remarkably. So I know more from hearing about what's going on in New York City because I haven't I'm embarrassed to say I haven't been in New York for you know over a year now, but I certainly hear plenty of stories as to what's going on on the ground floor. And that's a bet, you know, the example of that um, part of what happened in New York is it just took too long, right? I mean, there are all sorts of problems in New York, but it speaks so much as to what we have going on that you have just bodegas in New York, you know, bodegas selling cannabis that's been produced out in california yeah i was gonna say that you walk down the street, <laughs> you know. you'll see you know in the trash you'll see california brands they're all over yeah. the place they're all over the place and some of them are some of them are real some of them are are uh, ripoffs of them and and they're all sorts of issues but uh you know i, I don't um uh, maybe at the end of the day, there is some notion that some level of flower doesn't get regulated. You know, I mean, maybe may, maybe we are in a world where somewhat that happens and the individual products end up being more regulated. And maybe it's difficult to regulate flower. And that's what we're seeing in part of the market. But a lot market is really selling all sorts of different products, which is not viable in the long term. I mean, our government is not going to allow just like you know, random edibles that are untested and no one knows what's in them. I mean, that may be working now, but that's not what's going to happen in the long term. Um, but in the long term, there's tremendous demand for this. And uh, I want to recognize that the route to success in this area may not be more regulation, right? I mean, it might be less in allowing the folks who are operating illicitly to, to come into what would be a considered illegal, a, a, a legal market. Um, to be able to operate with less costs. The answer to everything is not more regulation. I'll give you an example of that. Of course, we want things uh, standardized, right? I mean, we're used to everything is standardized, right? We we have units of electricity that we pay. We have, you know, we all we all we all understand um, when we're going in and and buying a package of twenty five Advil, what is exactly in there. And it's not, it's and, and milligrams and everything like that. Um, and we need that to a certain degree with cannabis, but we don't need it to that extent with cannabis, right? I mean, no one no, needs when they're just bought, going out and buying cannabis uh, for recreational use or just even most medical use that every single batch of the Jack Herrera they purchase has the exact same chemical profile has the exact same THC count, even like, honestly, what does it matter if it's 24 versus, you know, 23.5 or 23 or even 22? Right. It's not that material. It may be materials. Do we want to buy it? And someone can make the choice, but to its safety and how it's working, you know, those differences, it's more like a unit of pot, right? I mean, you all can picture what a piece of pie looks like, but it isn't exactly the same size every time people, but you're still ending up with a pie. And so I don't necessarily know that more regulation is the answer to all of our problems here. And I want to state that very clearly because we're facing that in the industry as well. And regulations come at cost and it's just not viable to keep pushing costs onto the, at least the state legal industry. 
Uh, so there needs to be thought as yeah. to how that's done. And <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, oh no, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just going to say that's a tough job. You know, it's yeah. easier to say, say than do. Well, it's not sustainable for these companies right now. There, right. there's no, they're not making money. They're not growing. They're not able to get, you know, loans in order to be able to scale their businesses and to grow and to, you know, write off tax deductions that any other business can write off. So, I mean, they're really operating with, you know, one hand behind the, tied behind their back and it, it, it's just not sustainable. Um, you know, I, I think, um, I guess, so looking back at, at, at your, your, your day to day, you know, why, what are your clients coming to you for? Is it, is it, are you seeing a trend or is it every single client is in a different stage of their business and coming to you for, for different reasons? Or is there something that you can extrapolate? Like, you know, this, I'm seeing this and, and attributing it to this like economic trend. Is there, yeah. is that a way, can you do that? Or is that an unfair No, question? I'll try to do that. I'll try to do that. I appreciate that, Anne. And so uh, the, 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 there are two answers, really. One is, what generally am I seeing? And the second is kind of just like, um, what's keeping us busy? And what can I tell from that? So the first is, you know, the blinding glimpse of the obvious right now is that this is an industry writ large. I mean, whether you're looking at it as state legal cannabis or hemp or, you know, the whole, you know, lots of the different participants writ large are facing challenging times. Um, and you pointed them out just now, what are two of the greatest challenges are access to capital, which is included in banking and, 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 you know, safe banking would help access to capital a lot. And, and, and the onerous nature of the 280E tax penalty. Uh, I think that folks were very hopeful that we would be further along on federal reform than we are. I think some of that was uh, they folks absolutely need that relief. No question about it for, for, for these businesses to proceed and succeed. They need that. But even that's not going to be the silver bullet for everyone. Right. I mean, you know, there are lots of folks who built businesses that were not sustainable, that were not well run and nothing's going to save them. But for the rest of them, that reform would be tremendous. And the fact that we haven't seen that has really resulted in doldrums in the industry. There is a lot of reason to be optimistic. I mean, we're seeing states expand and and I'm seeing a lot more kind of uh, uh, institutional capital and institutional companies looking at the industry and looking to get in and starting to have some role in that. So I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Let me tell you what, what we're seeing, because I do think it bears on what's happening in the market and the volatility that's there. Uh, first and foremost, um, ways to get capital into the industry. Uh, and, and, and we have companies that are uh, publicly listed and have somewhat of their hands tied as to what they can do and money they can take and where they can send their money. And so working with that so that there can be some better flow of money in the industry is probably taking a majority of my time. Uh, 
and, and, and working those deals and talking to exchanges and just making that work in these very challenging times, that's probably taking, you know, I said a majority, I don't know the exact amount, but you know, a lot. Uh, are you sourcing, are you sourcing the capital? Like, are you putting the funds with the companies? No. Okay. No, it's not really what I do. I mean, it, it's something that has happened, but it's not really what I get paid to do. I get paid to figure it out and, and help execute on that. So that's a large part of it. And it involves a lot of creative structuring of companies and deals and operations even. Uh, we're spending quite a bit of time on uh, several other areas, though. Safe banking. So I've been involved in in providing uh, comments, amendments, uh, helping companies understand implications, just the normal things that I I do on on a legislative front on on safe banking. Uh, we've been spending more and more time on hemp and delta eight, and looking forward to the farm bill and and what that will be or might be and the implications that will have on different stakeholders. Uh, spending a lot of time in three other substantive areas that I want to point out that, you know, one may be obvious, but the others may be less so, which is litigation. <laughs> I hate to say it, but just a lot more litigation in the industry, a, a lot more employment issues, not just from within the industry, but more and more we have other clients trying to figure out how to deal with the employment issues arising from states having legalized cannabis and their employees feeling like our states legalized cannabis. And what does that mean? And what does it mean under the different jobs? And it's actually a growing issue oh, um, that we've seen. And in part, it plays out because uh, with vestige, no tolerance testing, companies are having trouble hiring people. No, people like, it goes back to what I said before, there's a lot, there's tremendous demand for cannabis. People like cannabis, right. it's not going away. And the fact that a state permits it, you know, there and, and other jobs are saying we're no longer doing testing for it. The jobs that have maintained it, it becomes difficult. And some of them aren't going to necessarily be able to change it. There may be some know with the truckers and that sort of thing but they're they themselves are you know even the safety sensitive jobs where it's understood they're 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 having trouble with hiring and that's definitely a big issue and the third is intellectual property and i say that in all respects patents trademarks trade secrets you know, all of that and and the development and protection and work around that is 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 taking more and more time. I guess I would put in that category licensing as well, although I think of that more as contractual. But you know, if you if you add that in, that's taking a lot of that, all of those categories are taking a lot of our time at this point. And I would just say, you know, I alluded to it before, additional states coming online. And um that that takes time in and of itself and is important to our clients. So that's another area. Two things that, that I have here. Um, one, let's start with safe banking because you know we never talk about that here on on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to get that over the goal line? You know, we, this is what the seventh time we're we're breaking yeah, from right. the huddle here, and, uh, trying to get this through. What, what's it going to take? I, you know, I, there's so many things out there that I hear people talking about, like 
you know, there has to be some sort of uplisting component to it. There has to be some sort of schedule, like rescheduling or not rescheduling, but like, um, you know, yeah, I understand. you know what I'm talking about? Like, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to, when are we going to see this get across the goal line? What's it going to take us to get there? So I don't know that for sure because no one does. And I think even the folks who control this don't know for sure. And the bottom line is that we're all slaves to the politicians. So the first thing is there, there are the unknowns, right? I mean, we're well, not entirely unknown, but like uh, the, the, the hitting the deficit ceiling and defaulting, which swamps everything, and wars, which swamp everything. So I don't know what's going to happen there other than I do believe there are the votes for safe banking as it was filed. Um, I do believe that uh, as long as Mitch McConnell would not, you know, stand in the way affirmatively and basically tell his party not to support that, if he lets it go, there are the votes to get that done. I mean, that's my best knowledge and my best understanding. And, and so it could get through the Senate. Then you, of course, have the House. And in some ways, all bets are off in the House. Uh, but, but at the same time, this is a bill that they've passed. And yeah. there's a lot of Republican support for safe banking. So I do think there is a pathway for safe banking. You get to the questions you raise of what else needs to be in there. The answer is nothing needs to be in there. I mean, you know, passing safe banking as it is would be good. Getting climb provisions, you know, like <clears throat> maybe calling them climb provisions may cause confusion, but things that would allow companies that are otherwise compliant with what the requirements in that act to be able to bank, for example, that they're entirely safe, a state compliant, uh, they ought to be able to get listed. Folks ought to be able to trade stock and 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 all the things that are required, which by the way is, is you know, you have public companies. We like having public companies. They have corporate governance standards that they have to fulfill. I mean, they have all sorts of things they need to do to remain public. And it's a good thing to have them Right. Uh, public. It's a good thing to have them banked. It's a good thing to have them paying their taxes. And so um, it would be great to get those those listing provisions added to it, but it doesn't have, no one's saying that has to happen. I mean, folks outside may want that to happen and folks may want social equity provisions or criminal you know, expungement provisions. They may want that to be added, but uh, well, the the thing that's pertinent that that I think would help the industry the most would be the uplisting. I mean, that would that would help everyone and 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 spread throughout the industry. But that doesn't have to be added for the for for safe to pass. Safe could pass in its current form, and it would be helpful if they added additional provisions. It would be more helpful. But I mean, I think the problem is as you add additional provisions, you give. You give folks reason to say no. And yeah. I really think it's it becomes dangerous to do that. Right. Let's just get it over the goal line now. Looking at you, Chuck. Um, yeah, right. One other thing I wanted to discuss is the farm bill, because that is coming up here in September, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, from a lot of the stuff that I'm reading, obviously Delta 8 and is in the crosshairs, but, you know, also reading stuff about CBD potentially 
um, you know, having some other things um, put on that as well. Do, is there anything that you're hearing on your end in terms of the farm bill and what should we expect um, this coming September? Uh, with respect to hemp, several things could happen. I have heard quite a bit of discussion of raising the THC threshold, but including all THCs in that category. Uh, there are various ways of expressing that, you know, whether they want to include all intoxicants in the number or anything that can be impairing. You get very dicey when you get into those that language. But basically, if you think about it as setting a 0.5%, a 1%, not even changing it, having 0.3% still, uh, that would that would be not just Delta 9 uh, THC, but expressly Delta 9 THCA and Delta 8 uh, THC and Delta 8 THCA, you know, the acid versions as well. We see out in the market a lot of uh, all of a sudden seeing uh, hemp-derived Delta 9 THCA. Well, it's hard to know exactly, I don't want to, you know, render a legal opinion here because I haven't looked as closely, but I don't really see quickly how that's legal. <laughs> um, I mean, because you can't necessarily remanufacture easily stick the acid back on. It's easy to take it off through uh, heat, pressure, uh, various things, but to add it back on becomes difficult. And it, it is supposed to be included in the calculation for the crop. Um, so when you're when when a USDA is having folks measure the THC, it includes the THCA content as well. Uh, so what gets included is unsure, and the percentage number is unsure. But that's what I've heard. Of course, no, there's 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 something else that could happen that hasn't gotten as much attention, which is nothing. You know, nothing could happen. It could just not have anything really on him or just or just, you know, provisions that are strictly for the farmers that they give a little bit of leeway on hot hemp on the extraction or at, at harvest and remediation and maybe no need to have DEA labs or something like that. I mean, there may just be things that help truly folks who are trying to grow and harvest for purely industrial uses. And I don't mean it wouldn't help others, but it would help principally them and it would be intended to help them. Or nothing again, right? And so we could be exactly where we are. Uh, if September could roll around and they couldn't, it's possible they don't get it done. It becomes December like it was in 2018. So the, all those are possibilities, but it's also possible that you know, we end up with 0.5 uh, of 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 weight as um, all THCs, in which case the market for Delta Eight vapes um, it would have significant impact on that market. I would think. So we'll have to have you back when uh, whenever the farm bill gets signed, and maybe have you deconstruct it for us because I think that would be really interesting. Um, one more question before we let you go. What is the most undertold story in the cannabis or hemp industry? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, so 
I, I, I hesitate to point to one, and I'm sorry. I'm going to give you a few that pop into my mind. The one is funny because I think it's it's so told and we're all grappling with it, but it's not told enough. And it goes back to that issue that I raised before. We don't live in a world where we can have no cannabis. And so I actually think the story of how large the illicit market is and how it functions and how it competes with the legal market is an undertold story. I don't think enough people are heeding that or understanding it. Um, I think that uh, the other is, and it's another one that's talked about a lot within the industry, but I don't think people outside understand, well, no one understands the endocannabinoid system. They don't even know it exists. And they don't understand that it functions similarly to an atom item and, and that sort of thing. And so people just getting comfortable with the substance and how it interacts with the human body, I think would be helpful. And then I would just say, um, uh, let's not in all of this forget the people that, that kept this plant alive, you know, that kept this going. There are a lot of legacy producers, and I understand they were, they were breaking law at the time. But they were trying to accomplish what I've been trying to accomplish, which is safe, legal, affordable access. And they were less on the uh, legal side, but still safe and affordable. And they believed in it. I mean, some are just, you know, if, I'm not talking about, you know, you have uh, illegal Chinese growing enormous greenhouses and just for profit. I'm talking about the people, you know, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. And, um, you know, we should just, you know, they did good work uh, in terms of uh, keeping this plant available to folks. And we should uh, remember that as we move along. I was not I one think, of them, but I give respect uh, to that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that that's, you know, the war on drugs obviously did us no favors, but, you know, it, it criminalized people who have no reason to be criminalized in our yeah. opinion, our collective opinion. But, um, Eric, thank you so much for your time. This has been really wonderful. Um, we, yeah, we want to have you back on, um, you know, around farm bill time. I think that'll be really interesting. Um, so thank you again. We really enjoyed having you on today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I'd be uh, honored to be back. Thank you. Thanks to Eric Berlin, partner and co-head of Cannabis at Denton's. Check him out at dentons.com, D-E-N-T-O-N-S.com. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at greenrush underscore podcast or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa we love your ideas and your feedback uh and lastly don't forget to subscribe to the green rush in your favorite podcatcher one cake shay one